The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Chapter 16, Luke chapter 16. Uh, the sermon today, and just to give you a couple uh, weeks ahead what we're looking at, the sermon today is a, is a topic we planned on preaching about a year ago because you all had a lot of questions around this, uh, this passage. So this is a year in the making, a year in the study. Next week, uh, uh, our intern Lane will be wearing pants, not shorts. And uh, uh, if you know Lane, you know he loves his shorts. Uh, Lane will be preaching next week and has been working very hard on preaching through John 19, 18 through 30. It is finished. You'll be blessed by it. I've heard it in part uh, as we studied together. And then the week after that, the weekend before Thanksgiving, uh, we will be going, as we usually do, through the state of Tower View, a, a sermon about where we are as a church and to encourage us in the season about where we're going from there. And so, and after that, you know what? We'll figure it out. We don't have it all planned out yet, so we'll, we'll get there as we get there. But today, Luke 16, five seconds after you die, or as someone said, and uh, this is our intern coming through my voice here, uh, two dudes, two deaths, two destinies, one desperation. Are you ready for that? That's our sermon outline today, because we will have two dudes as we talk about. When you're 22, like Lane is 22, you can get away with this stuff, but not when you're senior pastor. But we'll get there, right? We will hold that truth. Luke chapter 16, you got God's word. Uh, guys, let's read it together. Very familiar passage. Luke 16, 19 through the end of the chapter, down to verse 31. Hear God's word this morning. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by his angels to Abraham's side, or Abraham's bosom is what your, your scripture may say. The rich man also died and was buried. And verse 23, in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, that's the rich man, and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I'm in anguish and in flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you are a great chasm has been fixed in order that you, those who would pass from here to you, may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. And verse 27, the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I, for, for I have five brothers, so he may warn them, lest they come also to this place of torment. But Abraham said, verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, verse 31, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is a standalone sermon. This is talking about two destinies, two deaths, and two guys, two dudes, if you will, to use that language, and one desperation this morning. Five seconds after you die, what happens? 
We're going to examine that today. You say, pastor of all sermons you could preach after the election. Oh yeah, you betcha. We're going to dig right in here and we're going to feast on it, okay? And that's what it is. This has no relation to anything political, but it's everything to remind us about what happens after we die. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, wherever that is, especially this is a time for you to remind yourself of what happens if you do not know Jesus. But for those who do know Jesus, to shore yourself up in that truth as well. Let's pray together and we'll jump into this. Fathers, we come before you on this Sunday, post-election. Father, we come knowing so easily that uh, things like this passage are easily forgotten in a week of busyness, of even life busyness. Father, we know life has gone on despite what's happened in Washington, D.C. and around all the battleground states and all the things that have made up this last week. Father, we're grateful there, has, there was no doubt that when Satan tried to rebel against you, when we tried to rebel against you, that you were still Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Father, as we look at these two men, these two people, the rich man and Lazarus, as we see this fleshed out, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us encouragement and exhortation? Would you give us the ability to uh, see what you would have for us? If there are Christians hearing this today, well, I already know where I'm going to heaven. Father, that's great. Thank you for that. May this remind us all the more of the cost that it took for us to be able to say we are saved and cleansed front and backwards through Christ alone. Father, thank you so much. For those watching, those listening, those here who are not saved, who have not come to Christ, may your spirit especially draw them to you this morning. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. And we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Well, it is five seconds after you die. And let me just give you the big idea today. It's simply this, is that life is short. Death is sure, judgment is coming, eternity is forever, but God is reigning, heaven is rejoicing, hell is boiling, Jesus is, is Lord, and he alone saves. That is the, the crux of this passage. Because you know, there are so many opinions what happens after you die. I mean, some people, it's you get buried six feet under, right? That's it. You just get buried. Uh, there's those old stories from the 1800s where they had the bells. You've heard that before. They had bells in their, in their funeral coffins in case someone actually got buried alive. They'd ring that bell, and you hear that sort of thing. But what happens after you die? You go to any religion, you ask any person what happens, they're going to give you a thousand opinions. But we need to go back to Scripture. We need to remember this is God's Word. It is Scripture. It is truth. It says this very simply. There is heaven. There is hell. There's no purgatory. There's no soul sleep. There's nothing in between. There's no Richard Simmons sweating to the oldies trying to burn off your sins sort of thing. It's heaven or it's hell. That's it, right? But this is what we have to see. And Jesus is coming off Luke 15, and we don't have time to go back there. But he has been telling them that God loves sinners, and he welcomes them. He wants them to come to him. He, he embraces them. That's what Luke's gospel is all about. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But he's also warned them in Luke 15 that the Pharisees and scribes, those the religious leaders of the day, were lost and needed to be saved. And if you go back just even a little bit above our passage there to Luke 16... Uh, verse uh, 15, and you will see this fleshed out very easily. It says, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus has warned them. He's told them just because you're religious does not mean you're going to heaven. And so Jesus tells a parable. It's intended to show that the Pharisees are in bad things if they do not trust in Jesus Christ. That you will die and you will go somewhere. And you must repent and trust in Christ. That's what it's all about. And if you're a Christian here today, I pray, and my prayer has been for you this week, that this shocks you back into reality. 
that it's so easy to forget in these days, this is what is going to befall all men. This is coming. When? Well, when someone passes, when somebody uh, is at the return of Christ, whenever it is. So where will you be five seconds after you die? 10,000 years from today, where will you spend eternity? Where will you go? That is the big question. And so this morning, I'm not trying to be silly, not trying to be facetious, but uh, it does work. There are two guys, there are two dudes. There's a rich man, there's Lazarus. They both die. There's two deaths. There are two destinies. There's heaven and there's hell, but there's one desperate person, isn't there? In verses 30 and 31. So I want to look at that first, those two dudes, verses 19 through 21. Look at that. You see in verse 19, the rich man. Do you see this guy? He's a one-dimensional kind of person. You ever met someone like that? They only do the same thing over and over and over and over again. I know you're not like that. Especially as you get older, you really vary it up because you hate routine when you're older, don't you? No, that's not usually the case. You love routine. Well, see what this guy's routine was. You ready for this? He clothed himself in purple. He had fine linen. And he feasted sumptuously every day. You want to interpret that for a second? This man was a Pharisee. This man represents the Pharisees. That They were only about show. This man was told that he, we were told about this man that he went to Golden Corral every day and he loved it. He went to Golden Corral and feasted his eyes out. Or if you're me, he went to CeCe's Pizza and had all he could eat when he, when he wanted it. He always dressed to the nines. You see purple there. He was upper class. Purple was reserved for those who were very rich. It doesn't say he was a ruler. It just says he, he had that, uh, that background of richness. But there was fine linen there. There, there was something that he wore that he, he the Greek speaks, it's very intentional. He, he literally clothed himself in such a way as to be noticed every day by people. Maybe you know someone like that, who they dress a certain way just to be noticed by people. And it's, it, he says that he always dressed to the nines. He always wanted someone to be there. He always wanted someone to see him. And so he loved money. He fantasized about it. He plotted for it. He was driven by the desire for it. But just a few verses there, and I'll, I'll take you back to Luke 16, 13. I want you to see what Jesus said. He said that no one can serve what? No one can serve two masters. You either hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God or money. So, pastor, is it wrong to have money? No, it is not. It is not wrong to have money. Look, if it was wrong to have money, then you can take out most of the people in the Bible that God said that he loved. It's not wrong to have money. And if you're poor, is it wrong to desire money? It can be. Do you know that sometimes poor people, even middle class people who aren't rich, their heart is so set to get rich that it becomes a sin? The question is, does your money have you or, or is it the other way around? It's not a possession issue. It's a, always a heart issue. But this man was so rich. He, he, was, he was a very rich man. But he was also a very religious man. Did you notice that he recognized Abraham in verse 23? Did you notice that he claims to be in the family of God? He says, Father Abraham. And in verse 29 and verse 31, he seems to know something of Scripture. This man was rich and he had religion. And when you're rich and you have religion, that's not always the best of both worlds. Jesus here is speaking of someone who was not a hero for us to smile about, but was someone who was utterly wasting his life. But then you have another guy. Look at verse 20. 
He has a name. Did you notice that there? This is the only time in the parables of Jesus that I'm aware of where a name is given to one of the characters of the parable. Did you see what his name was? His name is Lazarus. And this is a great reminder that the Lord knows and calls and listens to those who are his. And Lazarus, it says, was poor. He was a poor man. And at the gate laid a poor man. In the Greek, there are several levels of poor. And this is like the bottom dirt level poor. He's so poor, dirt is richer than he is. Does that make sense? He's so poor. Lazarus means God has provided. And somewhere, literally, this man was living out his faith. And he stayed at the gate of the rich man. Can you see this picture? Guy had, he, this guy has DoorDash and Grubhub and Uber Eats brought to his house every night. The best of the best food, whatever he has delivered. And the man is waiting, Lazarus says, for just some crumbs to literally fall at his table. The man was literally worse off than the prodigal son. Do you remember that guy? The prodigal son at least ate the pods of the pigs. Whatever. Ew, that just sounds nasty, doesn't it? This man had nothing. And hunger was his companion. Verse 21 says he was hungry all the time. I've never been in that position. Some of you have. Where literally getting your next meal is, is all that consumes you. But it says in verse 21, he desired to be fed what fell. And even the dogs came and licked his sores. The dogs thought he was fresh meat to be eaten because he was in such a, uh, a vile state that the humble man was literally licked the dogs. What a contrast. You have one living on top of the world and you have one living at the bottom. You have one who's living for this world and one who's living without in this world. You have one looking to himself and the other looking to God himself. But isn't this what all life is about? Isn't this what it's really all about? There are only two sets of people in this world. And they're not Republican and they're not Democrat, by the way. The two people in this world are those who seek God and those who don't. You're either living for God, you're living for this world. Everything living for God is a true disciple of Jesus. And if you're not living for God, you're not a true disciple of Jesus. And so he sets this up. These two dudes, these two guys in verses 19 through 21. That's pretty easy to see. But I want you to see secondly here the two deaths. The two deaths. Look back at verse 22. And I want you to catch this. Jesus is a masterful storyteller, of course being God himself. But notice what he says about the deaths. He said the poor man died. The poor man died. That's it. He just dies. But notice what happens to him next. Now, Pastor, will there be guardian angels in heaven? Look, Hebrews 1 says that angels are ministering spirits sent to those who inherit salvation. We know angels are around. We, they're not touched by an angel. For those of you who remember that late 90s show, it's not the, the, the little house on the prairie woman, whatever her name is, who played the angel. That's not. That's Hollywood. Don't go there. But look what it says. The poor man died and was what? Was carried by angels to Abraham's side. Now stop right there. Both died. Death is no respecter of persons. In fact, the CDC came out this week and said that 10 out of 10 people are going to die. Did you know that? It took scientists to figure that out. Well, the poor man was died. He was too poor to be buried. He had no funeral. He had no attention to man. But did you notice what was said of him? He was carried away by the angels. Now, you can really dig down deep in here, and I don't think that's the point of Jesus to the extent, but at some point, the angels are in process with you of carrying your soul, so to speak, if you will, to the next stage of the journey that is with Christ. There's something to be said here. That's an intentional uh, veiling back of eternity that Jesus gives us. But now, the poor man died. He's now at Abraham's side. 
What does that mean? How many of y'all have Abraham's bosom in your Bible, just out of curiosity? Some of y'all. It's very common. This literally means that, that he is at his side. It literally means he's close to him. John laid on Jesus' bosom, it was said, at the Last Supper when they were reclining at the table. It just means closeness. So heaven noticed and dispatched angels to receive him and usher him to the presence of God. But I want you to see this second death. Notice that it says the rich man also died and was buried. Can you imagine this funeral? The rich man died and also was buried. That's where it stops. Oh, you've been to one of those funerals before, haven't you? A very prominent person in the neighborhood dies. You know, heaven doesn't take notice. But, but you would have been impressed at this man's funeral. He would have, been a, he would have had people speaking. Out. He was the best man ever. He did this. He did that. Boy, we wouldn't have been here today without this guy. He gave money here. He gave money there. He did this. 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 And you would have been wondering, when is this guy ever going to stop? This guy couldn't have been that good. But it did stop. He would have been spoken of well by his people. But when he was died, he was buried. And that was it. Isn't that interesting? You ever been to a funeral like that? If you've ever watched a famous person die, you, you, you wonder sometimes. But friend, when you die, will you be noticed by heaven or merely passed over? Will you be those that the angels are excited to go get because you're one of Jesus' uh, blood-bought children? Or are you one that will just simply be ready to go the opposite way? That's a quick point, but two, two dudes, two deaths. I want you to see the, the main thrust of this here, two destinies. You notice there that the heart of the parable here is to show the Pharisees about what is coming. But I want you to see that this is a figure of speech, but it has eternal reality. Destiny number one, he was carried to Abraham's side. I want to dig into this a little bit more. You'll notice in verse 23, it says that in Hades, being in torment, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. I want to focus on that last phrase, Lazarus at his side. What does that mean? It means that angels came to take him to heaven. When you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is our hope when someone passes away in Christ, isn't it? When they die, they're immediately with Christ. There's not some soul sleep where you kind of fall asleep uh, like, like we're all tempted to do, you know, in sermons and speeches and such, all that sort of thing. It's not a soul sleep. You wake up and, oh, we're in heaven. He's conscious. It's, he's alive. He's there. He, he's seeing it as it is. But many times, Abraham's bosom just simply meant closeness. It simply meant closeness. Christ was there with him. And so the question is, well, well, Pastor, will we know each other in heaven? Friends, we will know each other in heaven. If this rich man, or excuse me, this poor man was able to be at God's side, we will know each other in heaven. We won't really know one another until we get to heaven like we will that day, but we will know each other in heaven. He was at his side. And that's all we, that's said. He's at his side. He's in God's presence. That's it. I find it interesting that God in Christ spends more time describing the second destiny, Hades, hell, than he does heaven. So let's get into that. What happens to this man? I want you to see this. First, I want you to see that this is a real place. This is a real place. Some of you here today need to hear this. This is a real place. This is real as Kansas City, real as your home. This is not a figure of speech. He says, literally in verse 23, it is Hades, the Greek word for hell, the Greek word for separation from God. Another name for it is lake of fire or, or, or bottomless pit or, or, or land of darkness. It's a place of the dead. 
And in this context, it refers to those who are unsaved. You notice how it's described. He is in hell and he is in torment. Don't let that escape you. And we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Hell is a real place. Jesus spoke about two more things than he did about anything else. He spoke about money and he spoke about heaven and hell more than anything else. He spoke about hell more than heaven. He spoke about hell more than money. Why? Well, Pastor, I, you know, if you just turn on the Discovery Channel, you'll discover that most people don't believe that that is the scientific opinion, that this is actually true. <laughs> this is just a symbol. You know, I read every liberal commentary I could on this passage, and every one of them skipped over verse 23. Friends, hell is real. It is so real. And it's an immediate place, number two. You need to see that. It's an immediate place. Just as the Lazarus, the, the poor man, goes to heaven, Abraham's bosom, it's the same word there. Notice here, it happened quickly. He died, he buried, and, and, and he went to Hades five seconds later, so to speak. And that's my time stamp. There's no holding position. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance. Before his friends knew he was dead, he was already there. There's no time to repent or turn to God. There's no time to sweat off your sins. He lifted up his eyes. Did you see that? You're going to get all the feels here, to use my generation's word. You're going to get all the, all the vibes here. Notice what he says. He lifted up his eyes. Well, how did that work? I have not the faintest idea, but this is what I know. It's real. He's not unconscious. He's not in limbo. He's not in soul sleep. He's not annihilated. When he was alive and awake and alert, he found himself literally in hell. His senses had never been more stimulated. It was sensual. He lifted up his eyes. He saw it. He talks. He hears he has some sort of body. But friends, I want you to know Jesus uses these verbs very intentionally in the Greek. I keep referring to that because you need to know this, that these are in present tense. These are not in the past, not in the future. This is as real, as real, as real as it gets. It's a real place, hell is. It's an immediate place, but it's also an isolated place. Did you notice that? He's far away. Don't let Jesus' words here in verse 23 take that away. Rich man died and was buried and lifted his eyes, and he saw Abraham where? Far off. Your Bible may say something different, but the impetus is, is that he's far away. They're far away. Verse 26 says there's a great chasm. There's a grand canyon between him and God. And he's now removed from godly people. That is a saving grace. Even on this earth, as terrible as it is, someday people will be without the grace of God. On this earth, God has given us what we call theologically common grace, where God has allowed the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He, he brings food to those even though they don't care for him. That's God's grace. But in this moment, he has been spared all that. And he will spend eternity with all those. And I'm summarizing scripture here. 1 Corinthians 6, Revelation 21. The fornicators, the idolaters, the adulterers, the effeminate men, the thieves, the homosexuals, the covetousness, the drunkenness, the cowards, the immorals, the sorcerers, the liars, the unbelievings. This is the place where he's going. This is the place where the rich man is. And it's not an isolated place. His senses are firing on all things. He's probably even remembering the fact, and we'll get there in a minute. He's probably remembering the fact that every time someone shared this, came to share the gospel with him, that he said, no, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I'm okay. I got this. I want you to see, fourthly, it's an agonizing place. Did you notice that in verse 24? What does he do? He cries out. 
This word literally means like when you get someone and, and, and uh, we, have a, we have a policeman in our uh, jurisdiction. I won't say his name on, online, but you all know who he is locally. It's like when that guy gets you in one of those, one of those holds that's legal and, and, and he pins you down enough to make you feel it. You know what I mean? It's that type of scream times a thousand. He's crying out. He's shrieking. And what's he say? He says, have mercy on me. Come on, God. Come on. He could have had God's mercy and grace, but now the door is closed. So he does the next best thing. He says in verse 24, he says, Have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. Is this a symbol? No, I believe this is a literal fire. I believe this is as literal as you hear my voice. If someone could dip their finger on one's tongue and give it to someone in hell for a minute, it would be worth it. It's that bad. Verse 28 says it's a place of torment. But Christian, you need to be reminded of this. That there are many people out there that want to air condition hell itself. They want to put it in a freezer box and take it away. We don't preach about hell a lot in our churches these days. But I want to tell you that Jesus never stuttered when he spoke about hell. The one truth he said most about is hell is the place of fire. Let me just give you some scripture here. I'm summarizing. He called it the unquenchable fire, the fiery hell, the furnace of fire, eternal fire that will be salted with fire, tormented with fire, a lake of fire, lake of fire, lake of fire, lake of fire and brimstone, and a consuming fire. It is an agonizing place. Had a guy in the streets one time say, Pastor, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to be in hell with my friends and we're going to party it up and we're going to have the best time ever. Ever heard someone say that before? You wish that were the case. It'll never go out. It'll never be extinguished. As Jesus tells this parable to warning to the Pharisees to not go there. And friends, this is, and I posted this on Facebook, 2 Peter 1.10. Make your calling and election sure. Brothers and sisters, make your calling and election sure. There's an election that mattered in America, but the election that matters most is the election that you know for sure that you are a child of God. Make sure you know your calling and election. It's a real place, it's an immediate place, it's an isolated place, it's an agonizing place. But notice verse 25, it's a haunting place. Not like Casper the ghost kind of thing, but notice verse 25. Abraham responds, he says, child, remember. That word remember is exactly what you think it is. In hell, he is playing back every instance of God's goodness in his life. Remember, there's a capacity to look back and all the sin you've committed, all the times God shared the gospel through someone that you heard that Christ died for you, the soul in hell, the, the, the hell itself will be God's wrath. But a second layer of that, I think, is the replay of the sins and the chances to hear the gospel. It will never stop. It's like those times you, you, hear, you watch those movies where they put someone in a room. It's a terrible analogy, but they play like the worst playing music. It, it's like listening to Richard Simmons for all eternity. <laughs> whatever whatever the worst thing is for you he's replaying his life over and over and over while in heaven Lazarus is replaying all the times God was good to him and all the times that God brought him out from death to life in hell they will replay everything that they rejected in this life and it gets worse it's an inescapable place did you see that in verse 26 there's a great, I don't know what your Bible says there, mine says chasm. 
It literally means a separation. Those of you who share the gospel with the bridge illustration where God's on one side, man's on the other, there's a big gulf between them, that's the same thing here. There's no relief or escape. Once in hell, you're there forever. There's no rescue mission. There's no you know, SEAL Team 6 to come in the middle of the night with their black helicopters and rescue you out of there. This man never wanted this to be his life goal, but he thought he was going to heaven. He opened his eyes and he was in hell. It says in verse 26 that there is a chasm and Abraham here says in order that you might not pass from here and you might not go to there. Serious business, isn't it? Some of you never mean to go there, but friend, are you sure that you know Christ? And if you know Christ today, your heart should be leaping with joy right now to say, thank you, Lord, I have been saved in Jesus. This is not me. This is somebody else. But it should encourage your heart all the more to go and share the gospel. Because do you know what happens? We Two dudes, two destinies, two deaths. I want you to see this last point. There's one desperation. Look at verse 27. And he said to him, then I beg you, can you imagine this? This man knows he can't get out. He knows there's no way out. There's no relief. He can't change a, a lick about his situation. So he says, I beg you. I beg you. This is that time in those movies when, 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 the, when the enemy has the upper hand on the good guy and, he's be- and, and, and the man is begging for his life. Just take that time's eternity. And that's what this man is doing. He says, someone must tell them. Someone must tell them, I beg you, Father, send someone to my father's house. For I have five brothers, or literally five brothers and sisters, so they may warn them, lest they not come to this place of torment. Friend, every soul in hell would tell you not to go there if you knew that to be the place. But he, there's one desperation. Well, well, well Darren, if God wanted people to know about this, why didn't he just send someone back? Well, that's exactly what the rich man thought too. Do you see what he said in verse 29? They have all they need. They have a Bible. He says in verse 29, I don't need to send anyone. Do you see what it says here? He says, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Well, pastor, if we would just have the power team come and those guys, you know, that used to break things and and people could see how strong Christians are, or if we just got the, 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 the most famous person in the world and they became a Christian, then they could warn people about hell that's coming. Hey, friends, Jesus says in this parable, if someone has the Bible, they hear the Bible, if they've heard the Bible even one time, they have enough to know on top of all creation to know that there's a hell coming. Friend, this is why Scripture is so important when you share the gospel. You can bring all your arguments to people, you can, you can argue them into heaven, and they can go straight to hell because they never repented. They just simply trusted in a prayer that you let them in. Be careful how you evangelize. But I want you to know, let them hear the word. Wherever you are, speak the word. If you're a parent of young children, speak the word. We, we've got to be reminded of this as parents ourselves, even in the ministry. Speak the word to your children. If you're a grandparent, talk about the Bible with your grandkids. Talk about it. Because someday God may use that seed in his sovereign plan to draw them to Christ. Be faithful to spread the word. The Pharisees knew the Bible and the word of God and they didn't listen to it. They just, they lipped it. And then in verse 30, he said, but no, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Why was this man in hell? Do you know why he was in hell? Look at verse 30. It wasn't because he was rich. It wasn't because he ate the best food all the time. It wasn't because he dressed in fine clothes or fine linen. It's because, verse 30, he did not repent. 
He did not turn back. He did not bow the knee. But if you send someone from the dead, like myself or, or Lazarus, they'll repent. <laughs> now without equivocation, without even hesitating, it said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced. Friend, the power of the written word of God is enough to convert all people. You pray for the word of God to go forth wherever it is preached. Even for pastors like myself, who at times stumble over what words to say in a sermon. Even for, for uh, pastors who get up and just say the words. Paul says in Philippians 1, whether it's spoken of for Christ or against Christ, as long as the word is shared, it is, it is positive all around. Don't underestimate the power of the word of God. How do you change a church that's gone wayward? It's not by instilling the latest program. That might be helpful to organize once things shake out. You preach the word of God. How do you change a nation? It's not by political strategy. It is by what? The word of God. How do you change your life, Christian? It's not by listening to anything other than the word of God itself. Consume it. Eat it. Not literally, but take it to your soul. Subpot it. Get it in you. MacArthur said it speaks powerfully the sufficiency of Scripture to overcome all belief. In other words, I'm not afraid of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. It is the power of God. It takes away the need to have wonderful signs in your life. It takes away the need to have a dog and pony show. It, you know, you want a sermon that will wake you up? Go listen to this one. It's 18 years old now. The seminary guys know this. Paul Washer is his name. Leon Bagby, you're, you know Paul Washer. You've been listening to him. Paul Washer has a sermon out there. You write this down, go listen to it. It's called Youth Sermon. Paul Washer Youth Sermon. Go listen to that. This backstory is they had all these skaters come up and all these people in skateboards with cool earrings and talking like, hey dude, hey dude, hey dude, you know, that kind of thing. Paul Washer got up and just said, I'm telling you, I'm talking about you. And they clapped. <laughs> Woo! Preach that, preach the word, brother. He goes, no, I'm talking about you. Because most of the people there were there for the skaters and the skateboarders and all the show. They weren't there for the word of God. It's the most clear presentation of the gospel you'll probably ever hear. Friend, we need the word of God everywhere, don't we? This man cried out. So what does this mean for us, Pastor? This is kind of a random sermon on a random Sunday after an election week. Let me just give you some things as we close. I want you to know that a person's appearance is no litmus test for their standing with God. No matter how a person looks, no matter how a person dresses, no matter how a person presents himself before God, it means nothing. The rich man could have fooled people, and the poor, the poor man probably was thought of as someone who God didn't love or God didn't care for. But a lit, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, does he? You remember that, don't you? In 1 Samuel 16, all of Jesse's sons came before Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And God brought David in. I'm sure Samuel did what you and I would do and said, that runt? Really? Really, God? And God said, I don't look at the outward appearance, but I look upon the heart. Another thing you need to see here is that God is the common, or God has sent death as the common experience of all people. Lane read it earlier. That we all go to one place, Ecclesiastes 3. We all go to one place or the other. It's called death. Death is the great equalizer of all people. And I want you to see thirdly that souls of Christians are especially cared for after death. Aren't you grateful for that? 
Aren't you grateful that you don't die and have to, you know, kind of like a terrible movie analogy, uh, the poltergeist movie, walk into the light, walk into the light. That's not how Satan, that's not how it works. That's Satan speaking. Friend, you don't have to walk in the light. God's going to take care of you. The moment you die, He's taking care of you. The moment you live in eternity, He's got you. The moment you step out, He's got you. The souls of Christians are especially taken care of after death. I want you to also see that there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. And that day is coming. We had a dear neighbor of ours, a family member of theirs, passed away of this terrible virus, just out of the blue, just passed away. You don't know when it's coming. Christian, do you know people in your life who you haven't told the gospel to? This is their fate without Jesus Christ. You're not called to win them. You're called to be faithful to share with them. God does the winning. God does the converting. Friends, one last thing. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to know this truth. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is seeing something this is God after everything has been shaken out. God loves you so much, doesn't he? He sent his son. Muhammad wouldn't even die for his people. Buddha was rich till the day he died. Hindus, who even knows what God you're going to be worshiping or what you'll end up after you die? But our God came down to us. He loved us. He sacrificed himself for us. If you're not a Christian here today, you have sinned so wildly against God, the only way you can be saved is, is if God himself could save you. Repent, believe the gospel. Jesus alone saves. Christian, every rising sun, every day without drought, every decade between coronavirus, every advance warning of judgment, God has kept you through it. You think if God can hold you in all eternity, God can hold you for four years of whoever's elected before us, you better believe it. Our God's got this. Christian, who is it in your life today that needs to hear this message? Not my message, but the message of the gospel. Would you pray about that? But don't let your prayer turn into sin because you're too afraid to speak the gospel. You go and you pray for courage and you speak that gospel. And you share with them. Some of y'all have grandkids, some of y'all have kids that need to hear this message. There's one death. And he died for all. But it's coming a time when we have to embrace the fact that once we die, that's it. Christian, hallelujah. You know what we're going to be doing in heaven at this point? Thank you, Jesus. We're going to be praising him forever and a day. Well, pastor, won't we remember these people? You won't care. That sounds so cold-hearted. You know why you won't care? Because you're going to see Jesus as he is, and that's all you're going to care about in that moment. Christian, if you think you'll care more about people in hell and heaven when you're there someday and you don't care about them now that you've completely missed the scripture, your heart should be broken for them now because this is the time. May God be glorified. Let's pray together as we close. Father, as we come before you this morning, on this day, on this passage, these are, whew, this, is, this is what's coming. But Father, we thank you that you've told us what's coming. This isn't going to blindside us if we've heard the truth. I pray for all those in the sound of my voice that they would trust Jesus alone. If they have not turned to your son for salvation, that they would believe on the gospel, that they would be saved. 
But Father, for the Christians in here, this would do two things. Would you propel us forward in praise? Just thanking you that on that day, we don't have to face this judgment in the sense of this rich man, but we are with Lazarus. We are carried away to your side. We are never to leave that side because you will never, never, never leave us or never, never, never forsake us. We are secure in Christ. No one can snatch us out of our hands. Romans 8, Pastor Nelson always quotes this to me, that neither death nor life or angels or demons nor anything high or above can ever separate us from the love of God. Father, may it also propel us as Christians to know, to speak the truth of the gospel wherever we go. We forget it. It's so easy to forget. Father, forgive us. But Father, there's coming a day. And I, I pray for Brother Lane as he brings next week that truth that we all know so well. It is finished. Father, may that be our message this week. Father, be glorified as we go through. Father, this is certainly a standalone sermon. No relation to anything else except that we need to be shocked into this reality that you are coming again. So, Father, prepare our hearts. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Brother.